Hi, this is Mike again with episode 10 of Getting Everyone Moving. And we have another special guest with Mike Godsey uh, coming to us from North Carolina. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm all right. Uh, so let's start off. You've been um, part of the Rolling the Hornets for some time, along with what, Preston, Hal, and Dave Kiley. And I'm, I was just so impressed with everything that you were doing when I was living you know, in North Carolina. So tell us a bit about the Rolling Hornets and how did you uh, come to be involved? Yes. So I got involved with adaptive sports when my son was uh, had just about ready to turn seven. And uh, see, he has cerebral palsy. He was born three months early. And at that time, he got around on a walker and, and four or forearm crutches. And he had had a couple of orthopedic surgeries. And every time doctors and therapists, uh, everything they'd always say was, you need to get him out of the wheelchair as soon as possible. So it was kind of an unwritten, you know, the wheelchair is bad. And he joined a group called Winners on Wheels, which was kind of like a modified Boys and Girls Scout at a local hospital that uh, was for kids with physical disabilities. And as a part of that, he got introduced to wheelchair basketball. And Dave was the director of the um, athletic program, the adaptive sports program at that, at that hospital at the time. So that's how we got introduced to basketball. And I had always been... Uh, even though I'm the short white guy, I'd always, you know, basketball was my favorite sport. And um, so we had my son and then a couple of years later, my daughter. And I just always thought that, you know, maybe basketball wasn't going to be part of my father experience. And because um, my daughter showed no interest in it, uh, um, in sports at that time. And, and John was, uh, who's my son, he was, you know, had some physical disabilities and it was cool because almost immediately I was the, the dad that was working 90 plus hours a week, but um, that was like a big turning point where I started being more involved in the kids' lives and um, through basketball. And so that would have been 2000, uh, the year 2000 when that started. And we practiced um, locally. Our first tournament was in 2003 to to um, the Bennett Blazers annual Valentine's Day tournament, which Jerry and Gwenna do a great job of hosting those. And uh, we got 32 inches of snow that weekend <laughs> while in Baltimore. So we were snowed in, but it was a really cool bonding experience for the kids because we got to see how fun basketball could be when you're playing with your peer group. We got to, to learn how to play flag football uh, in the the meeting room of the hotel because we ended up having a two-day trip turn into a five-day trip because we were that even BWI airport was closed at the time so it was a really memorable first introduction to traveling adaptive sports and I was completely sold on it uh, I ended up leaving the job about a year later actually no it wasn't even a year later it was about two months later uh, because I was, I, I could see that I, I was going to have to be more involved in adaptive sports. And my main consideration for the next job was time away from home. I didn't care where, care where it was. I didn't care what type of thing it is. And I've always kind of been in finance. Uh, and I ended up getting a job two miles from my house. Um, so it really worked out well. 
we were practicing on Monday afternoons and I said that that was a critical decision in whether I was going to accept the job or not, if I could continue that. Uh, a couple years later, <clears throat> 2005, myself and two other dads, one of them was more involved on the track side. One of them was kind of like our equipment fixer. And I was the basketball, the one passionate about basketball. We started a nonprofit, Abilities Unlimited of the Carolinas. At the time, it was mainly just to help some of the families that couldn't afford to, to do the traveling. We wanted to have a, a nonprofit mechanism in place to help get donations. And shortly thereafter, the relationship with the hospital deteriorated. They weren't interested in competitive adaptive sports. So we were kind of like all in uh, because we had a lot of passionate people. We had probably seven or eight athletes. We had Dave that wanted to coach us, but we didn't have any chairs. Uh, we didn't have a team. <laughs> so that's when we were born as the Charlotte Roland Bobcats and uh, kind of the rest is history. Dave's been the, the coaching uh, mentor and um, huge in my development from the standpoint of uh, everywhere we went, everybody knew who Dave was. Um, so no matter what we did, we had instant credibility. And uh, that's, um, I don't, you can't put a price on that uh, because I can't say that we would have been successful without it. It's not the sort of thing that you can go out and buy. So I think that's so important for people that have had experiences and, and what's your basketball has been good to them. It's important for what's your basketball to, to get their efforts and their time uh, down the road. So now, although we've never met uh, face to face, although yeah. we're seeing each other now, I actually saw you in 2017 in Kentucky. Yeah. And um, I was coaching a, a D3 team, but I was watching one of your games and two, you, the team had lost and two of your players were crying. Uh, a young yeah. uh, girl and uh, I think Preston's son. Sadie. And I saw you, yeah. um, I saw how you dealt with them. And I was just, and even when I talk about it now, I was just so touched by your ability to engage with, you know, your, your team members. How, can you talk a little bit more about how you do that? You know, how you motivate the kids and, and what you do with them? Yes. So it's very much about, um, we're big on intentional community. And, and it's one of the reasons that I'm a big proponent, even in the COVID community that we're in, I'm on the board with the NWBA now, and I'm not going to tell any individual, any program, um, any player that you need to do this or you don't need to do this. But what I can't, especially in the junior division, is the importance of these moments of being, and you pick the grade or the age, the importance of being a 12-year-old and the camaraderie that you have, the ability to be with your peer group, the ability to get your inner athlete out is so important, especially to our disabled population because they don't have 30 or 40 different sports to choose from. They can't just be a basketball player and then decide, well, I'm gonna go try soccer or I'm gonna try, because there's adaptive equipment that's involved. And, and more often, there just isn't the availability of those, especially team sports. Team sports is critical. I, um, I'm a small business owner. And one of the questions I'll ask in interviews is tell me about what team activity you were involved in in high school. And a lot of people think 
well, he's looking for a jock or no, I'm not, I don't really care. Even on my own team. Yes. It's always great if you have a phenomenal athlete, but it's more about those individual relationships and the impact that you can have on changing a life. Because even in those moments, like in Louisville, uh, that team, you know, I still think with the brackets and stuff, uh, we probably weren't the fifth best team there. We were probably one of the top three teams there that year, but we should have won the game. You know, there's in order for you want to be number one, you got to beat every team that's there. And we didn't. And that was a hard moment for them. And looking at sports coaches, they react to things in different ways and approach to motivating youth is one of, you gotta, it's gotta be uplifting and you gotta care. Um, You hold them accountable. So you have, you expect them to do things. And honestly, the better that they are, uh, especially if it's physically gifted, the, the higher your level of um, accountability you have for them. Uh, we, we do the same thing with grades, every single, because sports is what brings us together, but grades is so much more important to me. And it's not, I don't have a grade point uh, mechanism. It's not like you have to have a 2.0 or you can't play or practice. Uh, I have 30 something kids in the program and two of them are brothers and two others go to the same school. So that means I have 30 different principals or parents if, if they're homeschooled, but still kind of the principal. So I have to rely on the parents to kind of be my principal. It's not like an able-bodied sport or high school coach where I can go down the hall, talk to the guidance counselor, talk to the, you know, the algebra teacher and get the lowdown on whether the child is struggling and and it's because of poor behavior because they you know maybe there's a learning disability involved maybe they're not putting forth the effort but it's critical that every single practice the kids have to recite back to me what are our three rules and the three rules is you have to listen to your parents you have to listen to your teachers and you have to do well in school and if any of those things are not being held up by that player that, and I get a call from a parent, they're not allowed to come to practice. They're not allowed to come to games. I don't care if we're going to the national championship. We've had to invoke it um, a couple of times, you know, through the years. And so they know it's real. And the parents love that. Uh, they, they literally will. What I hear more frequently than somebody's not doing something is that they've used it as a threat to, to get desired behavior out of their child. But where that's important to them is, and back to the grade point average, is you could have a child that, um, let's say that it is a 2.0, and there's a child that no matter what, they just, they don't get math. You know, they struggle. And let's say they're in high school and it's algebra that they're taking. And they are going and they're getting a tutor and they're doing their homework, or maybe they have a learning disability, but they just, they, they can't, they can't do well in it. And they're doing their best and they're getting a D. And then you have another child that everything comes easy to them and they like video games and all of a sudden they're not doing their homework and they're taking the test and they should be getting an A, but they're getting a B. Well, in those two scenarios, the, the child that needs accountability is the one that it comes easy to them. And I don't care if the parents think that they should get A's and they're getting B's and they call up and said, 
you know, such and such isn't doing their, their job or they missed a project or got a low score on a test, they can't come to practice until they fix it. So the kids know that. And it's a, the team sport thing. It's so important. Again, as a small business owner, we have an obligation as the older part of our generation uh, of our society to educate the youth to be the workforce in a couple of years, because it doesn't matter how good you are at something, unless it's an individual sport uh, like uh, tennis or swimming, if you take out relays and double matches, because if you can't work well with others, then you're never gonna reach your true potential in life. And that's one of the many things that you can teach through sport. And it's, uh, I've made no secret about it, I, um, I love the, the junior portion of the wheelchair basketball division. So, you know, parents, some of the other interviews I've done, I mean, it's come up, you know, who supported you and it, parents are a huge part of that, you know, and yeah. making sure that uh, their child, you know, is able to go and, and participate. Um, so it sounds like the parents that you're working with or who are parents of your team members are really supportive. And how else do they help the organization, your organization? Yeah, they, um, my, it's, it's simple. My organization doesn't work without the parents. We're 100% volunteer run. Uh, we have our largest repeat donors are specifically related to parents. And uh, we have a, parental um, advisory council, which is made up of some of our parents and they help. It used to be where I would come up with an idea. It was simple. I'd come up with an idea. I would do the work and it would get put in place and, and like it or love it. I had full control over it. And, and, you know, over time that really burns you out um, for a period of time. I actually had my daughter helping. Um, so she was two years younger than my, my son uh, but when she was a, a freshman in high school, she wanted to uh, actually moving back a little bit. And this is one of the things from experience that you'll tell parents, because it's hard having a it's, it's hard having two children at, at times as a parent. Right. Because now you're playing man to man defense. It's not like it's just you know playing one one on one and you get a break every 20 minutes or something. So when you have two kids. Um, our daughter didn't like basketball because it took up so much of dad's time and, and her brother's time. And he got to go all around the country. And um, so there was some animosity there, but when she became a freshman in high school, she wanted to come and she wanted to help me coach the youngest kids and was great with that. And then even after my son graduated two years later, she wanted to keep doing that. So I kept coaching. Um, so then that was a number of years ago and she graduated um, last May. Well, actually she graduated each of the last two Mays first with her undergraduate degree in special education. And then she got her master's degree in the same. And um, so it actually helped mold her professional career because she's, you know, I would tell her that on interview or, you know, uh, her resume and in, in interviews when people are like, you know, you don't have any experience. I was like, no, you, you've got 22 year, year, years of experience yeah. and real world experience. And um, 
you know, wheelchair or not just wheelchair basketball, but adaptive sports, when you go on a, um, when you're part of the coaching staff, it's a big commitment because when you go to tournaments, you're gone for the whole weekend. When you go to nationals, it's half of a week. Um, if we were involved in adaptive uh, track and field, that's a, that's like nine to 10 days consecutively for the national tournament. So there's a big commitment um, from the coaches. Back to your original question, the parents, um, our average commute to practice is probably about 45 minutes. And a lot of people think, well, that's not that bad. I mean, the furthest is coming from Charleston, South Carolina, which is a solid three hours, maybe three and a half hours. And that's if there's no traffic. And there's one from Greenville that's two hours. There's one from Columbia, it's an hour and a half. There's uh, two from Lenore, which is almost two hours. So it's, there's huge dedication from our parents. And then actually just taking the chance. Um, you know, I remember back to the early time of us getting involved, we didn't travel for the first two or three years. Um, so I was completely falling in love with the sport by the time it got to, okay, and by the way, this is going to cost uh, a lot of money to participate in. Um, so that's where the fundraising comes into it. And we've kind of modeled it after some other programs where there's, um, it has to be sustainable. So as much as I'd love to just pay for everything for everybody, we can't because we don't even have anybody that we can pay to generate more revenue. Um, so we try and pay for all of the registration fees and we buy chairs and, um, and half of the hotel fees. So the, the sale to the, to the family is, and I have always been big on intentional community. I want the whole family to come. So you get a hotel room for the whole weekend and you're paying two nights. If it's a hundred dollars a night, then for a hundred dollars, you're getting a hotel room for your whole family for a hundred bucks. You have to pay for the gas um, because I don't have the manpower to bring all the chairs for some, you know, so when we loan out a chair for free, it's your chair and we want you to use it as much as you can. Uh, anytime you're on a flat service, if it's a grocery store, shopping mall, um, out in your, your driveway or the gym, we want you practicing in your chair because some of our participants, they are not everyday wheelchair users. Uh, they might get around um, with a prosthetic or crutches, walker, so. Um, one of the, you know, one of the things that I've thought a lot about and that I want to work on more is trying to get more collegiate level adaptive sports. In California, we have one college, San Diego State University, that's doing a bit, um, but they're few and far between, I mean, in the U.S. How do we get more um, collegiate level adaptive sports? I mean, especially in North Carolina, where there's, you know, basketball is so big. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's, I, I think that you have to make it personal, right? So you have to, if, if you look back on the successful collegiate programs, there's been instances where, um, like even back to Dr. Nugent, when he started at University of Illinois, it was personal to him. It was so important to him. And um, just the different universities, like University of Alabama has been so successful because they've had, they've been able to touch the lives of some people they were very wealthy and were able to donate money and, and to make it their life's work 
Um, and the same would be true of every other collegiate program. There's always a story of there was a personal connection and it, um, the, those individuals weren't going to make it, weren't going to allow it to fail. Now, the next thing that would help is just kind of the viral awareness of it. Uh, you think back to the Matt Scott Nike commercial. That was huge because it put our sport and our athlete at the same level as any other sport out there. And that's critical. And I think another thing that would help is just the, the drawing power. And it's one of the arguments that I made because we've sent over, I think it's 21 or 22 people to collegiate programs to play adaptive sports. Two of those were track and all the others were basketball. So it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> we really need a collegiate team because our, our closest team to us is Alabama. Right. Uh, and then, then Auburn and, and then Edinburgh. And none of those are close. Right. Uh, there's, you know, talk that I, I guess Florida would technically be a little bit closer. Um, University of Florida is at, at the beginning stages of having a team. Um, Tennessee is another one that might be the next closest. And then Clemson has a really strong adaptive soccer program. And there's interest and they've helped host uh, there's a team in Greenville, South Carolina. They've helped host a couple of their tournaments. So there's progress, but, you know, why does North Carolina and Duke not have wheelchair basketball teams? It befuddles me because actually that was one of the reasons, one of the sales pitches when, when Auburn was starting the team and they were getting funding locally is the, the biggest selling point was this is another sport that we can play and beat Alabama at. <laughs> That's all they needed. And it's like, well, where do I make my donation? Uh, so it's not quite as easy as that, but yeah. there are certainly, and we've played on um, halftime exhibitions and stuff. We've played on all those courts in, in the Carolinas. You know, it's kind of funny. It's sometimes we'll be looking at uh, space at a, at a church or a high school and the athletic director or the you know, this superintendent of the church, they'll call back and say, well, um, are your chairs going to hurt our playing surface? And so I've got a list of all the different courts that we've played on and we've never had a problem with our, our chairs yeah. hurting the court. And it's, you know, from the NBA Hornets to UNC, Duke, Wake Forest, NC State. Um, so all the big boys, um, University of South Carolina, we've played on all those courts before at different times. Well, part of it is, though, creating more awareness, I think. I mean, yeah. I'm amazed by the fact that, you know, when I do a presentation, I mean, people are like, oh, you mean you can do that? So how, how do we, I mean, create more awareness, you know, beside having opportunities, of course, for uh, people with disability to play? Yeah, I would. Um, so I think it's a hybrid of things. So you think about it like what are the obstacles to entrance into our sport and finances definitely come into it because it's expensive to play wheelchair basketball um, but it's also knowledge right and so like even as a nonprofit, one of the things that I'll say is everybody would expect my greatest single need is finances and it's not it's awareness 
because, and I'm a firm believer, I'm a person of faith, but I, I just feel that if we create the need, then it will somehow come into fruition. And so one of the things we've done is we partner with local physical therapy, either organizations or uh, in a couple of instances, like the doctor of physical therapy program. And it, it is one of the funnest disability awareness events that we put on because these individuals are going into a field where their whole life is going to be spent catering to people that are in, not all of them, but a lot of them are going to be eligible for adaptive sports. And I don't care if they play basketball. I don't care if they have adaptive sports in Charlotte or these people stay in the Charlotte area. I just want more people to be playing adaptive sports. So we'll bring in uh, Wingate University is, is the one that we have the strongest relationship with. They will bring in all of their um, current students for the doctor of physical therapy program, some of their alumni students and um, their professors. And um, I, it, it's a fun day because I get to sit them down and I was like, all right, so we got you strapped into some chairs and I just want to apologize in advance, but I, this is not really sincere because I'm not sorry about it. When our client base, our players go to you uh, for professional care, they hate it sometimes. It is physical therapy and physical is a, is a correct word there. And we're going to get a little payback today. So we'll just take them through some stations where they're doing, you know, uh, U-turns for two minutes or sprints for two minutes, partner pulls, just, you know, four or five different stations. After eight minutes or 10 minutes of that, and they're just sitting there and it looks like their arms are getting ready to fall off. And I was like, all right, good. So I think we're probably warmed up now. Now we're going to go into some drills. And they're just looking at me like, <laughs> so by the time that two hour time period goes by um, and they, they get breaks and we get, let them get water and stuff. They, um, they have a new appreciation for what adaptive sports can do for them in building their career. And nobody likes going to physical therapy per se, but if you can make it fun, then it is huge for that physical therapist and it's most importantly, huge for the client that's getting those services. So I think that's an area where just like the, if you think about the um, CrossFit industry as a whole in the United States, it's exploded in the last 10 years. And it's, um, I kind of find it ironic because every different CrossFit event you go to, it seems like at the end, it's almost like, you know, 10 years prior to that, it was 5Ks. There's always a beer vendor. The first thing they do after they work out is they drink a beer. And I'm like, that's so cool. Um, but the idea is, is I think that's viral driven and it's um, positive peer pressure that people are like, hey, I did it and I got the t-shirt. And the next time I go work out, I'm going to wear the t-shirt. So now they're a mobile billboard and they go around and they do that. And I think if, um, so the, the marriage there is adaptive CrossFit. And then it's these physical therapists realizing that, and that's what I tell them. I said, wherever you go, and if you can't find it, we're, you know, my contact is we're at Roland Hornets on all social media platforms, get in touch with me and I'll find you an adaptive sports program, wherever you end up a person to get in contact with, to get plugged into, because they're going to end up being your most loyal clients. And, and honestly, from a marketing perspective, they're going to get super positive 
marketing mojo, Google juice or whatever they call it. When you <laughs> have a good, um, you know, a good viral story to tell. Yeah. Talk about your role with the uh, National Wheelchair Basketball Association and what you're trying to do. Yeah, so I, um, I came on the board in the summer of 2019 in June. And um, at the first annual meeting I was at, um, the board elected me as their treasurer. Um, so my role I'm a, as one of their officers, I, I think there's um, most of the information that's coming through there. I either get to be a part of it or I get to be a part of reading the summary of what happened. And from a financial side, uh, we needed better oversight. Um, and, it, and I don't, I think a lot of the blame that I would cast on that is we had a lot of underperforming executive directors um, previous to our current one. And we didn't know what we didn't know, right? And so that sounds like an excuse. Um, so one of the, the tasks that we're doing now is we have a good executive director that we have a lot of confidence in, but we're setting things in place to teach uh, people like myself, people in board positions, how to know if you have a good executive director or not, and to put things in place so that whenever the board changes hands or changes, you know, the faces on a change and the executive director changes, that we still have a mechanism in place to ensure the financial stability of our organization because if they had they had lost you know over a million dollars in six or seven successive years of losing money and thankfully they had a nest egg to allow that and um you know now we don't have a million dollars that we could lose in the next seven years uh, but it's there's a lot of uh good um, training and, and also just a network of individuals. Um, it's, it, it as well is a volunteer run organization. There's three employees total. And one of those is provided through grants. So to think of, you know, there's probably 20 or 30 different programs around the country that are part of the national wheelchair basketball association that have more employees that are involved in wheelchair basketball than the national office even does. So that's, um, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, so it's, that's why I would refer to it as a member driven and member run organization. And uh, finally, we're getting towards the end here. Um, yeah. You know, what would you say to um, just, you know, a person with disability and their family members, caregivers about you know, the opportunities, the potential that exists for them, you know, in life? So the first thing I would encourage them to do is try it. And the trying it part is not necessarily just coming to watch it. It's actually sitting down in a chair, in a chair that is well suited for them. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you can't put a 60 pound kid in a chair that's built for a, a large adult. And I think the, the another thing that would help is uh, making them comfortable. And in making them comfortable, that's also the parents. And it's so much of it has nothing to do with basketball. 
Um, basketball is just the commonness, the thing that brings us together. But it's uh, for the parents, especially if it's a child that's involved, you're going to get a free support group. You're going to get advice on somebody that maybe one of the other parents and, and kids in the program, same disability as your child, and they're five years down the road from where you are. So you're going to get to learn from their mistakes or their life um, life occurrences that are just so valuable. And that's that's one of the single greatest values of the program that I run is we have that internal experience that we share with others. And more importantly, once we leave our team and we're in the Southeastern Conference, the, the camaraderie is the same. I don't care if it's the best player on the next team. I would love to talk to their parents about, hey, is your son or daughter thinking of college or what challenge you get, got this surgery coming up, you know, Hey, why don't you go over and talk to such and such a parent because they went through that same surgery 12 months ago. So that shared information, you know, knowledge is power. And when people talk about experience and they beat their chest, like I've got so much experience, really experience is just the accumulation of mistakes. <laughs> Honestly, you either made the mistake yourself or you witness somebody else make a mistake. And, and the most part, the experience part is you learn from it. Um, so sharing experience is critical uh, to, you know, maximizing our potential. Well, Mike, thanks so very much. This has been very informative. Um, you know, you all are just doing great work. Uh, just unbelievable. So thank you. I oh, appreciate it. Have a, have a great year and uh, nothing but health and happiness for your family in 2021. Same to you.